Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, there's a lot to discuss today. We know the President of the United States uh, is going to be having a press briefing He'll make remarks on National Security Initiative. We'll see what that's about. See if he'll take some questions. The vice president, it's always interesting, will deliver remarks with Secretary Yellen about the new Treasury report on child care. He'll suddenly say we need to give everybody free child care, free preschool, free school lunches, free community college. It sounds good. It's free for everyone except for everybody else that pays for it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to all those things that we hold dear as Californians and I would argue as Americans. Uh, there, there it goes. It looks like you're going to have to be stuck for, through a full term, at least, with Governor Gavin Newsom. In Sacramento, we officially won uh, handily his recall vote. We'll see where he goes from here. I just was wondering why the Democrats were so nervous to bring in the president, the speaker, the vice president, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Barack Obama. Oh, I remember, because he's terrible at his job. Number two. Imagine what? if tomorrow General Milley decides, I think Joe Biden is senile. And so you know what? I'm not going to follow his orders. I'm going to collude with Russia and China to prevent us from acting. Or, or, they, or a future president. I don't think he's in his right mind either because it is the essence, a military coup, for lack of a better term. That's what it would equate to. Uh, that is Marco Rubio talking about the revelations in this brand new book that uh, General Milley uh, actually called China twice behind the president's back to say, don't worry about him. I got him under control. Not only did he preside over a military catastrophe in Afghanistan, but in the Woodward book, he seems to want to take over the country and show allegiance more to the Democrats and China than the president and his cabinet. I say he's got to speak up or pack up. Number one. Who made the decisions on this? Was it the president of the United States? Ultimately, uh, the president makes the decisions. That's correct. Have you submitted your resignation regarding this issue? I have not. As a secretary, the execution of the U.S. withdrawal was clearly and fatally flawed. There has to be accountability. I guess so. Uh, we'll see. Uh, not yet. Secretary of State Blinken box at stranded Americans, airlifting unknown Afghans, mistakenly droning a family of allies, falsely claiming the Afghan collapse was a noble and more as the Taliban demand. We give them more aid money. Evidently, we're still giving them millions. We bring you the latest from the terrorist state of Afghanistan. Let's bring in uh, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, uh, now retired, but chairman of the American Security at the American First Policy. And he was a former advisor to the vice president of the United States. And I know the president always uh, relished and cherished his opinions. General uh, Kellogg, welcome back. Brian, thanks for having me. Sir, Good for, to be here. Yeah, same here. Uh, 
So what about the revelations that General Milley called China twice uh, to say we're not going to attack, and the second time to say if I was going to attack, you've known me for five years, I would give you notice, and meeting with an emergency fashion with other generals over in the Pentagon to say here's the plan should President Trump try to push the nuclear button. You were there. Was was General Milley working against the president? Yeah. You know, Brian, it's a great question. Look, I'm going to give you a big caveat. If, if what uh, is in the Woodward book is true, then Mark Milley needs to resign or be removed from his position immediately. He's, he's basically taken uh, Article 2 of the Constitution under his own wing and did not do uh, proper service to the president of the United States. His role as chairman of the Joint Chiefs, is to be the principal military advisor to the president of the United States and the National Security Council. That's it. He's got no forces under his control. Uh, he cannot give any command and control direct direction to combatant forces that are out there in the field. He was clearly in, his polit- in a political lane, in a lane he shouldn't have been in. And I've never seen any chairman do that before. I never saw Dunford do it. I never saw Hugh Shelton do it, Dick Myers do it, Colin Powell. None of them operated in that political lane like he did. And it's really quite kind of disturbing to me that he would do it. So I, I think he's also lost all of his capital out there. He's already alienated 50 percent of the uh, nation out there, those that have been on the Trump side. My concern right now is the fact that I don't think that the president will remove him. I think it's OK. And I think what you're heading for is what we uh, saw decades ago in that book, Seven Days in May, that they made into a movie where the chairman tried to remove a sitting president. And that's what you've got. I think he's lost all his credibility. Well, I mean, he said, according to this point, they're very specific. General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be okay. We are not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations. He goes on, I have, we have known each other for five years. If we were going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. Really? Uh, what kind of yeah. strategy, what war college class is that in? Um, yeah. It's not going to be a surprise. Well, well Brian, honestly, that's a clear violation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. There's an article in UCMJ, it's 103B, that's aiding the enemy, and they're talking about specifically communications, talking to the enemy uh, is a violation of that. So he's actually, if if true, he's violated the Uniform Code of Military Justice alone, despite what others may say about more serious actions out there. So he's really uh, truly overstepped his bounds, and I think he's, because of that, He's lost incredible credibility with everybody that's out there, and he moved into a lane he shouldn't have been in. I know, I know you're, a, you're in the book, too, and I'm going to bring you to that in a second. But for just you, General, I mean, you go in mm-hmm. general circles. Uh, you, you're the military, the, you know, friends of friends of friends. Uh, these are the people that you've been with for decades. So did you see some of this? Is this something, did you see the disdain he had towards the president, especially after the church incident where he felt as though he made a big mistake and in his words was duped into walking over to the church in a uniform and he apologized for it the next day. Did you, could you sense his disdain for the president, distrust of the president? What I started to pick up was he thought he was the smarter than the president and he's the smartest guy in the room. And, and that candidly, that's a thing I'm, concerned about because uh, the implication there is on the 6th of January or days around that, you know, that, that we had some issues in, with the president in the White House, and there was concerns. There was none there. I was in, in the Oval Office on the 6th of January. Kaylee was in the office. Mark Meadows was there. Patrick Baloney, the White House uh, um, legal officer, was there. 
uh, chief of operations for the White House was there. We were all in the office. We all talked to him. Was he mad a little bit? Sure, but everybody gets mad. You get mad. I get mad. Presidents get mad. That happens. But we were operating in, uh, with a lot of things going on in a very, very controlled environment. And he was – we was fine with it. I felt – you know, Brian, I was not concerned about the fate of the republic on that day. I really wasn't. Well, not only that day, I never thought the president would be profiled as somebody who was going to bomb China. In fact, the criticism on him was he wanted to get out of wars, and yeah, that yeah. that ticked off a lot of conservatives. You know, Brian, I will tell you, I, I gave him a nickname. He, he didn't like it when I said to him, I said, Mr. President, you're a reluctant warrior. Well, he didn't like that. I said, no, that's a compliment. I said, as a former military guy, we want a commander-in-chief who's not going to pull the trigger automatically. And he wasn't that way. Brian, we did not start a major conflict in the four years he was in the office. There is no other president that can say that in recent times. And he did that. And yet, at the same time, he took very tough action when action was needed against Baghdadi, against Soleimani, against when uh, Syria, Assad, Erdogan. So, I mean, he was, uh, when I say reluctant warrior, I say that with great admiration for him. So I want you to hear what Jennifer Griffin said just to balance out this story because it is so serious. Multiple Pentagon officials tell me the characterizations of the phone calls with the Chinese in the book are not accurate and were taken out of context. I spoke with a former senior Trump defense official who told me the phone call to the Chinese was done at the request of then-Defense Secretary Mark Esper. It was a follow-up to a call placed by the Defense Secretary's policy officials designed to lower the temperature and prevent the U.S. and China from stumbling into a conflict. U.S. intelligence at the time suggested the Chinese were jumpy about all the noise coming out of Washington surrounding the election. The phone call was made at the request of the civilian leadership of the military. General Milley was asked to follow up. At no time did General Milley promise to give the Chinese a heads up if the U.S. planned to strike. So that's the pushback in Pentagon speak. Do you feel better about it? I think he's still got to call a press conference. He can't just say, I don't, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of uh, verifying books. I don't think that's going to be an option like he had last time. Well, I think it's, it actually goes worse than that, and I, and I appreciate what Jennifer said. But there are only two national command authorities. It's the president and the secretary of defense. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs is not in that line. He should not be calling his counterpart or anybody else out there without informing the president of the United States on what he was doing. So they violated, even Esper violated that. The one who should have picked up the phone is Esper if he wanted to do it. And then he should have told the president, he should have actually asked the president beforehand and said this is what he was going to do. I mean, that just shows some very candidly, Brian, some real incompetence on the part of Esper and Millie as well. And I know what Jennifer's saying, but that's Pentagon speak for devil talk of trying to make something out of a really bad situation. And that's where they're at right now, a bad situation. So General Kellogg, our guest, so here's the quote from you in the book. This is on January 6th from you. You should really do a tweet. You're talking to the president. You need to get a tweet out real quick. Help control the crowd up there. This is out of control. They are not going to be able to control this. Sir, they're not prepared for it. Once a mob starts turning like that, you've lost it. And Trump said, yeah. And Trump blinked and kept watching television. What could you tell me about that, uh, how, how the veracity of that statement? Well, it, the, the statement is, is true. But what followed wasn't just what that's implied, that he just said, okay, I'm going to watch TV. Actually, Kaylee came in, I came in, 
Mark Meadows was there, and we just, we came up with a, what we should do with the mob, and it was not, to me, honestly, Brian, it was not an insurrection. It was a mob that had turned out, it had gone out of control. And my experience with mobs, and when we do riot control, is once that happens, you've got a major problem because then you've lost the initiative, is to take some type of action that would get ourselves out there to the people that were on the streets out there and telling them to back off. So Kaylee came in, I came in, Mark Meadows came in, uh, you had uh, Patrick Baloney, the White House lawyer, came in. And instead, what we drafted, we drafted a, a, a recommendation for him to do a video shot, which he did. So the, the implication was he was disengaged and let him go. That's not true at all. We came in as advisors, gave him the advice, and he took the advice going forward. Um, so what was said, it was only partially true, and because we were all offering advice, and I think he took the advice. So that's the reason I say all along, I felt very comfortable with what was going on. Was it a bad situation? Sure it was. But nobody was running around there in a panic mode. It was very disciplined, very organized, very controlled, and we, I thought we would give them good advice. So the, did you cooperate with the book? Well, I was asked, when Bob Woodward, I talked to Bob Woodward, yeah, he called me. I didn't say a lot of stuff, but I said, yeah, I did it, because I wanted to defend what we were doing. Because there was too much information going out there, Brian, about what was happening that was not true. And I just told him that. Brian, you know, I told Bob, and I've known Bob for, for almost six years now. But no, that's not what was happening. You're making it sound like the place was out of control. It was not out of control. In fact, it was in control. The president was under control. We were under control. We knew something bad was happening up there. It was a riot, and we wanted to get ahead of it. Okay. So, in other words, if I, if you are happy with the way you're quoted, should we be, should we take that as something? The veracity of the book all through and through. I mean, no. Oh. I never, I never trust. Uh, honestly, you asked me a direct question, Brian. I never trust anybody writing the book fully out there. But one thing you have to say about Wood, uh, Bob Woodward, he always has multiple sources to say what was going on. And, if, and so I think he generally gets into the 80 or 90 percent of what's happening out there. That's the reason I have a major concern for the earlier comment. But I'm not going to run from any comments or what I said in the Oval. There's some stuff I wouldn't tell him. I wouldn't tell anybody about what happened with me and the president talking because it's just not proper. But, uh, but I've, what I'm trying to tell you and your audience out there is that things were under control in the, in the uh, west wing of the White House. We knew what was going on uh, for the most part, and we were trying to get a handle on it. So, so, General, were you ever concerned, being that you knew the president now for at least his whole term, were you ever concerned for his sanity? Was he, look like, was he losing it for a while after the election? Absolutely. Brian, absolutely not. I mean, anybody who makes comments, those are moronic comments from people I've heard. In fact, I almost am tempted to call them imbecilic comments. No, not at all. I've been with him through some really, really tough situations and some really, really crisis actions that were going on out there. And I never, never, never at all. He was always in control. I mean, he would, would he get his, his back up a couple times? Sure, but so would I, and so would you. So would anybody out there. I didn't have a problem with that. And we'd work through it. But, oh, no, I was, I was never uncomfortable being around him. He was a great commander-in-chief. He knew what he wanted to do. And he had, a great, he had assembled a really tight team around him there at the end. And I, and I was very confident about it. I, I was never not confident that he was making a bad decision. He, was, he always made really solid and hard decisions. Were they tough? Yeah. I've got no problem with him at all. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, thanks for straightening out the record. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. You got it. one 408 I'll come back with your calls. We just covered a lot of ground there. Then Ben Dominich will put this all in perspective and uh, talk about everything going on in the world right now. Don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.